0: In the new year, uh, on Wednesday nights, Lord willing, we'll be going through the uh, book or letter, epistle of T- First Timothy. And uh, right about now, month or two out in advance, is when I really start getting ready. I start reading through the, the text over and over and over again. I'm reading it in all different kinds of versions. So in light of having the baptisms today, I just wanted to share one verse with you. So this is a, a reading from... Uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, his young protege, a young pastor, or, you know, most of us for the church, we grew up in a reading from St. Paul's epistle to Timothy. It says, 1 Timothy verse 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe." So what I want to do is I want to read it again, but I want to just throw in maybe some other versions that might give us just a little bit more clarity. Uh, for to this end, some, we, the idea is because of this reason, we both, we, his him and his team, both labor and suffer reproach. Uh, another version says labor and strive. Why? Uh, because we trust in, uh, some versions say, we have our hope set on or we have put our hope in. Now look at this, interesting, the living God who is the Savior of all men, so that means that the living God and the Savior are one and the same, especially of those who believe. And the title of our message today is is actually probably going to be longer than the sermon. The title of the message is Friends Who Found Hope and Give Hope or Give Us Hope in a Hopeless World. As someone who has occasion to speak with counselors and doctors, uh, I've, I've noticed that many of them speak of the necessity of hope. Uh, a good counselor often meets with people who are hopeless from the get-go, and so what they want to do right away is they want to establish hope. A determined doctor will, also, will often say to you, you know, hang in there, don't give up hope. So along with their education and along with their skills, it seems to me hope is central to their work because hope is central to all of our lives. Uh, The dictionary defines hope as a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. How important is hope to people? In 2008, Barack Obama ran for president really with the platform of hope and change. And people, it was that dear to them. People wanted it so much that he was able to gain the White House. Longtime pastor and chancellor of Denver Seminary, Gordon McDonald, calls hope vital optimism, that you need vital optimism to really get through this life. Now, we've often said around here in our church that words change meaning over time. And sometimes when you look up a definition online, you'll see underneath it where it will say Archaic dictionary. So, if you want to look up in the archaic dictionary what people used to u- think that the word meant a- and how it changes over time, you can see it. And for the archaic dictionary, it says that hope is defined as a feeling of trust. That is not what we use it for today, is it? We're like, you know, yeah, I hope that works out for you, buddy. And then she leaves the room, you're like, she's dead. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> right? It's such wishful thinking. You're like, no way. But years ago, when people would say we have hope, it means that we trust it's going to happen. In the Bible, in the scriptures, hope is a confident expectation in God, or, or perhaps even better, the certainty that God will do what he says he will do. We all need hope. Uh, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, and let's just stop for a second, if you're here as a guest with us today and you're not a follower of Jesus, we're really, really glad that you're here. It's a special day for you. I know it's not the weather's not so great, but we're glad that you came out. Uh, but as a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, it's important to remember that we are the people who are responsible to bring the hope of the gospel to the world. We're the people who are to bring the certainty of God doing what he says he will do to the world. And here the Apostle Paul says this hope, this trust in the living God who is the Savior is what motivates his life to work so hard for God. It's what motivates his life to even suffer if he has to uh, for the kingdom of God. Now you may or may not know this, the Apostle Paul was once a vicious enemy of God's people, and of the church, and of Jesus Christ. But he met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. He had this, you can read about in Acts chapter 9, he had this dramatic conversion. And and now he says that my faith and trust in Jesus, my knowing Jesus, actually knowing him personally, is what gets me out of bed in the morning. It, It is the guiding focus, it is the power, it is the strength of my life. And interesting, the verb tense here, which is often lost in our English versions, the verb tense of the word hope is continuous. So he's saying his hope, our hope, is an expression of our continual trust in Jesus. It's almost like he's saying that, that we have set our minds, we have set our hopes, we have set our hearts on the certainty and the trustworthiness of the Lord. The apostle Peter wrote these words when he grew much older, 1 Peter 1 uh, chapter chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So here, and then in the next two verses, Peter goes on to teach us that heaven is the guaranteed hope it is the certainty, because Jesus rose from the dead, and we grab it, we grab a hold of that certainty by putting our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, not in our lives, but in his life, not in our own death, but in his death and resurrection. So here we come to our verse for today, First Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, and he says, we get to heaven through, and at the end of the verse, he says, The living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Now, that word, especially, one of those words that's kind of changed some meaning over time, has thrown a lot of people into a tizzy because a lot of people will read this and where it says, the living God who is Savior of all men. And many people have used this to argue that all people go to heaven, or at the very least, good people go to heaven. And did you ever notice that most people include themselves in good people? You're like, you're a good person. They're like, yeah, I'm a good person. Right? I never killed anybody. Oh, that's the standard, huh? I mean, really? Like, I'm not Hitler. Well, great. Good for you. <laughs> All right? Uh, I'm sure heaven's like, wow, that's impressive. Um, so, so we have to understand this. And interesting, it says in the Proverbs that each one of us will say we're good people. And then God says that after that, but a faithful man who can find So God apparently has a very, very different view on what constitutes a good. Good in the scripture has to do with holy and morally 100% pure. I don't think that's anybody we know. And so that's what would be the definition of a good person. Now, so you say, well, but doesn't everybody go to heaven based on this verse? The living God who is the savior of all men, especially all those who believe. That's simply not possible that everybody goes to heaven. I'll just give you four quick reasons. Uh, first, because it's completely against the teachings of Jesus, completely against the teaching of the other apostles, and completely against the teaching of the apostle Paul himself. Jesus' message was simply this if you want to get to heaven, repent and believe. Repent, turn to God. You're going your own way. Repent, turn to God, and believe. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ not in yourself. Uh, Jesus and the apostles clearly taught that it is only those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ that are the recipients of what theologians refer to as God's saving power. Now, if you're sitting here and you're going, I don't, I don't really like this. Well, you don't like the idea that Jesus would be blamed for all of your sins? We're always blaming everybody else for everything, aren't we? And so here we have an opportunity to say Jesus is willing to take the blame for your sins and my sins as long as we're willing to put our trust in Him. The second reason why this couldn't possibly be true is the word Savior is one of those words that has changed meaning over time. We equate it just with Jesus, but we're not first century Bible readers. And, and really, the, back then, the word meant deliverer or preserver. Let me give you an example. In the Old Testament, the Savior God was the one who delivered Israel from oppression, preserved Israel from their enemies. But by no means do you get the impression when you read the scriptures that all of the Israelites were believers. You don't get that impression at all. The third reason is that the word all in the New Testament, he says, who is the savior of all men, the word all in the New Testament often refers to believers in Jesus Christ, people that the scripture says have come to the knowledge of the truth. You say, well, what truth is that? Well, it's the truth of the good news of the gospel. You say, well, what in the world is that? Well, it starts off with God created the world. I know a lot of people believe that the world came from other stuff, even before, long before I was a follower of Jesus. I always believed that there was a God who created the world simply because I was into math, and the math just doesn't work for me. The fine-tuning of the universe, the tilt of the planet, the way he's hydrating our planet today, and all the different things that happen, you know, just, there's just too many things that come together that, for me mathematically make it impossible, you know, the right, the right air for us to believe, to, to live, to breathe, and just our hands and our eyes, how everything works. The math is just too extensive for me. And so God, the, the, the good news of the Bible is that God created the world, and he said, hey, there's a couple things I want you to do. There's a couple things I don't want you to do. And most people in the world did what to God? I'm going to do what I want. I don't really care what you say. I'm my own guy, man. I, you know, I got thinking. You know, I can do myself. And so we violated what God asked us to do. But the criteria for getting into heaven is perfection. So are any of you perfect? If you are, let me talk to your family members. They'll be sure to set the record straight. <laughs> right? So if, we're, if we have to be perfect, we have to get it from somewhere else. So in his great love, God sent Jesus. God himself became a man, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God himself became a man in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. He lived a perfect life in your place. Ah, to me, that takes off all the pressure. And he died a death on the cross in my place, in the place of many of the people here, in our place for our sins, to prove that God was happy with it. He rose him from the dead, and we get to heaven through our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. The fourth reason is, why would he say, especially those who believe, which just would, if he thought it was going to complicate it, when in chapter 2, he had already taught two chapters earlier, that God desires all people to believe and to put their trust in Jesus Christ so they can have the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection from the dead, and so they can go to heaven and have eternal life. So the good news is this. There is one Savior, Jesus Christ, He is available to all, and Jesus' death and resurrection is sufficient for all. His life, death, and resurrection is sufficient for all. If every person on the planet decided to turn to him right now at this moment, that would be good enough. Jesus has done enough for all of them, but it is only efficient or is only effective for those who believe, for those who put their trust in Jesus. Perhaps we could simply say Jesus is the Savior of the world, but there is a necessity to believe. There is a necessity to turn to God and a necessity to put your trust in his provision for one to get to heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what Jesus has done, if you want to actualize it, as theologians say, if you want to make it effective, you have to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Now you say, okay, fine, Pastor Jim, that's great, but where in the world do we find hope And what does that have to do anything with these people being baptized today? Well, thank you very much for asking. You've made the rest of the sermon much easier for me. I want to briefly discuss three quick points about hope. Number one, we find hope in God's power. We find hope in God's power. Now, we could talk about creation, We could talk about Jesus being risen from the dead. We could talk about Jesus' miracles. But I want to go to something actually maybe a lot simpler to us, maybe a little bit more where we live. In the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, uh, King David and his army were coming back from a place where they actually just didn't belong. They just didn't belong. It was David then. They just didn't belong there. And while they were away in a place where they didn't belong, David took them there. They followed him. Uh, this group of people that hated them, their enemies, the Amalekites came and raided their town. And they, the name of that town was Ziklag. And when they left, uh, the Amalekites left Ziklag, they, they took everything in the place that was worth anything, and they took their families, their wives and their childrens, and other people captive. And when the soldiers came back, they just completely wept. And you would too, wouldn't you? You come back, you're thinking you're helping out God, but in a place you don't belong. You come back and everything is devastated. Who could blame them? I mean, just think, I mean, who cares about your stuff at that point in time? I mean, what about your wife and your kids? Were they, were they now slaves? Were they sold as slaves? Were they tortured? Were, were, they, were they dead? And 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6 says this, Now David was greatly distressed. Or do any of you find yourself greatly distressed this morning? The actual meaning of that word is he felt himself squeezed. Like life was so difficult for him at that point in time that he felt like it was just squeezing in on him from every angle. He had King Saul was after him. He'll become King David after Saul's dead, but King Saul was after him. Uh, the Amalekites, who knows if they're going to come back or not. And, and you think, oh, I got those two. And then the squeezing gets worse. It says, for the people spoke of stoning him. These are his own people. This is his own army. His own, his own friends, because of the, all the, the soul of all the people was grieved. Again, who can blame them? Every man for his sons and daughters. And next, what it says, remember the first time I read this, you know, probably about 30 years ago, it just jumped off the page at me. It said this. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. I remember thinking like, oh, this brother's in a jam. And there I am, barely knowing anything about the Christian faith. And all of a sudden it just said this. And I was like, wow, that is so profound. Rather than give up or run away, rather than compromise, rather than rationalize what's going on, David goes to the Lord for strength and power. David knows that the only way to find hope in an impossible situation was to go and get it from the Lord. And what happens, if you know the story, if you don't, it's fine. He found his strength in the Lord. He said to the guys, let's chase after them. They went back, they got all of their people back unharmed, and they got back all of their stuff as well. The Apostle Paul wrote these words, 2 Timothy 2.12. He says... If we endure, it's so important to continue to endure in the Christian life. Uh, in the King James Version, you know how many of you know that version? I always say that's the version Jesus read. Um, even though it was written in the 1600s, some people think it was. It says, If we endure, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. So the promise for enduring, the promise for suffering, in this life, if you continue to follow God, is that one day, as an adopted son or daughter of the king, you will reign with him. We find hope in God's power. We find hope in his power in our circumstances to build us up. We find hope in his power of his saving power. And we find hope in his power that rose Jesus from the dead. Number two, we find hope in God's promises. We find hope in God's promises. At the very end of Matthew's gospel, which Lord willing will return to next week, and one of my absolute favorite stories in all of the Bible uh, is, a, is a, when Jesus is on trial. I absolutely love what we're going to cover next Sunday. So there's a commercial for coming next week. Um, but but you know, at the very end of Matthew's gospel. Jesus says this, and and the day we started this church, I have a a light up, and the light's been replaced a couple times, but I have a light up in my office, and I posted this verse on that light, and there it has been there. Every day I look at it when I come into the church office, and Jesus says this at the very end of Matthew's gospel, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is a promise from Jesus. I am with you always. Whether you feel it or not, loved ones, whether you you sense it or not, if you have put your trust in Jesus, you can know that sensation of Jesus being with you always, even in your pain and in your suffering. In both the Old Testament and the book of Deuteronomy and in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews quoting Deuteronomy, the Lord says to his people, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, the idea is the Lord is saying to us, you think, oh, God's left me. And God's like, no way, that ain't happening. That's not going to happen at all. Why? Because if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are a child of the king. It's almost like God's saying, you're stuck with me. You know, My wife and I joke sometimes with each other. We're like, well, you know, you're stuck with me, right? Because we've made that covenant with one another. And so what, what happens is we, we always think of God's stuck with us, but God says, no, no, I'm never leaving you. You're stuck with me. If you want hope in a hopeless world, if you want certainty in an uncertain world, the fact that Jesus says, I am always with you, the fact that the Lord says, I will never leave you or forsake you, that is something that you have to remind yourself of continually. Continually remind yourself of that, that he is with you no matter what is going on. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, the most personal of all the letters that he wrote. He said, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Another version says, Wasting away, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. As people get older, even some 20-year-olds will tell you this, as people get older, we realize that not everything's working like it used to. Or certainly it's a lot slower than it used to. Or it hurts a lot more than it used to, right? Gonna get an amen. All right? and, so, and so things are not working like they're used to. But, but right, here the Lord tells us, yes, on the outside, you're falling apart. I don't know how confident we're supposed to feel in that. But on the outside, you're falling apart. But on the inside, if you're a follower, a follower of Jesus, he says, I'm renewing you day by day. Outside, falling apart. Inside, getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Verse 17, for our light affliction or our troubles. So this is a guy getting beaten up, getting shipwrecked, getting arrested, thought for dead, snakes are biting him. I mean, everybody hates him. I mean, this, this guy is just, he's just incredible. And he calls it a light affliction which is but for a moment. Listen, a million years from now, we're not going to care about any of the problems we have right now. You, you know what? A lot of the problems you have right now, you're not even going to care about next week. It's the way life is, isn't it? For our light affliction or all our troubles, which is but for a moment, is working, other versions say, is preparing or producing for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Another version says a glory Beyond comparison. So as we continue to endure, we're being prepared for something much greater. Verse 18. While we do not look at, some versions say fix our eyes on, focus on, we might say in our thinking on, while we don't obsess on, the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are, are eternal. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am always with you. We find hope in God's promises. Number three, we find hope in God's people. We find hope in God's people. From the very beginning, when you read the creation accounts in the scripture, you you get... Most people get kind of, if you will, involved in how it all came about and how God did everything and what was going on with all this. And there's some, very, there's some subtleties we assume, but I think we often miss from, from the very beginning, uh, the Word of God identifies God as a personal God. What do you mean by that? He speaks to people. And when he speaks to people, that's why we call it the Word of God, the word of God, God actually speaking to us. And when he speaks to people, we can find hope. There's another place that I think that we find hope, if we're careful to look for it, is we find hope when we know people who we know have heard God's voice. Like we listen to other people and we're like, oh, they, they know the Lord. They, they know who he is. They know him personally. Now, one reason and this is a huge reason for me of an evidence of the existence of, of Jesus Christ in the existence of the God of the Bible is one reason is that the people he speaks to change. Most of them, some, there's some changes immediately, usually the things that keep you out of jail, right? <laughs> but, but, but most things start to change and they change over time. In other words, people who put their trust in Jesus Christ, it is very easy to see that they are becoming different. So very different. Now, sometimes if you live with them, you don't realize it. But then all of a sudden, someone who hasn't seen you in a couple of years, remember when you were a kid? And, you know, your, your grandma, your aunt, or somebody would come up to you. They'd see you at a funeral or something like that, and they'd be pinching your cheek. You're like, oh, you're such a big boy. You're like, get your hands off my cheek lady, <laughs> right? But because you've changed so much, in, 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 and they see the change. You don't see it every day looking in the mirror, but sometimes people meet you, haven't seen you for years, and they're like, man, you are so different than you used to be. Why? because you have heard the voice of this personal God. Now, why is that a faith booster? Well, in other words, we can actually see that which is seen with the eyes, and I would say unseen, the work of the personal God who speaks in the lives of people we know who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. And so seeing that work in other people gives us hope for God's work In the world, in each one of us, and in those we love. The Apostle Paul wrote these words, Romans 6, 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Now, a lot of theologians call this uh, baptismal imagery because you see in in the Bible, they believed and they were baptized. You see, if you get any letters from missionaries, they're like, oh, the people believed and they were baptized. They were kind of considered one and the same thing. And in the United States, we don't make such a big deal about it, but it was such a big deal about it in, in the ancient world and in many parts of our world today. Why? You believe and you go out to the river with the church and your family's not Christian And you get down in that river and you're baptized. You know what they might tell you? You get down in that river, you profess Jesus Christ, you are no longer my son. You are no longer my daughter. That happens. Of course, you have a new family and a new father. But there was a big thing with that, a big association with that. A similar writing, 2 Timothy 2.11, he writes, This is a faithful saying, that if we died with him, we shall also live with him. This is actually the basic idea of the Christian life. This is the basic idea of being a follower of Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross in your place, in my place for our sins and calls us, if you will, to lose our lives as they exist. Not that we lose ourselves. You know, you've got certain gifts and talents. God's going to use them for for different ways and for his glory and for his kingdom But the reason God wants you to lose your pre-Christian life is so that you can gain the life that he gives. So you can now have the life that Jesus has for you. And for those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, the cross solves the sin problem. How can someone who is full of sin stand in front of a perfect and holy God? This is how I'm going to say it. If I can talk, I'm going to go on with him. I'm just going to point to Jesus and go, I'm with him. For those of you who are older, remember the honeymooners? I think it'll be more like a ham and a ham and a ham and a ham and a ham. And a, right? <laughs> right? But if I can get it out, I'm a ham and a ham and a pointing to him. So the cross solves the sin problem and the resurrection has solved the death problem, which seems to be, as you look at it, an impossible problem. But nothing is impossible. Jesus said all things are possible with him. And that's what's seen in baptism. People are going to go down into the water. You see in the Bible the people that believe are adults or grown people uh, who who actually profess faith in Jesus Christ. We see them go down into the water. In effect, it, it is a visual picture of them dying with Christ and being raised from the dead. So just imagine them going into the grave and being raised from the dead. So what are they doing? They're dying with Christ and they are being raised to eternal life with him. It's also a picture of them dying to their old self. So the old self goes into the water. But what comes out is person, someone who has a new life in Jesus Christ. There's also, in another sense, symbolic of being washed of our sins. Because of we have died with Christ, we're being raised with him. We are washed from our sins because our sins are then taken from us when we believe and they're placed upon Jesus on the cross. Remember earlier I said you have to be perfect to get into heaven? When you believe his perfect righteousness, he gets your sin and you get his perfect righteousness. And that's how you can stand in front front of the living God without fear. What a gift. You got that right, brother. What a gift. Today, these people are publicly declaring to all of us that they have put their trust in Jesus Christ, that their lives are now in his hands, that they have set their hope on the certainty provided by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they will continue to follow Jesus And they will turn to Jesus for their hope. And this is my big prayer. Big prayer. Saw it in the last service. Big prayer. My prayer is this. That as we who watch. That our little Grinch hearts towards God. (laughs) Would begin to grow. And grow. And grow and our hearts would explode with hope and certainty in the risen King, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we watch friends who found hope and friends who give us hope in a hopeless world, so all of us today can be filled with hope, not only because they found hope, But perhaps even more accurately, hope found them and hope's name is the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll have the musicians come forward. Let's pray.